This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. I have five stories that I consider my top five stories. You say, what do you mean by that? These are my favorite stories. I tell them, not necessarily often, but some of you have heard this story I'm going to begin with today, and I don't apologize for it. Ben Hayden, my favorite preacher, would say, a good story carries its own weight. And I asked him, I said, what what do you mean by that? And when I met with him one time, and he said, what do I mean by that? You don't have to apologize for telling a story the second time, you know, five years later. He said, a good story carries its own weight. If it made a point five years ago, and it made a point two years ago or whatever, it'll make a point today. And this is about pride in our life, even though we're talking about prayer, because what Paul talks to the church at Ephesus about is spiritual compliments on their faith and love, their enlightenment, their service to the kingdom. And so you can develop pride over that. I'll share this thought with you. Pride may be spiritual, but it's still what? Pride. Pride may be spiritual, but it's still pride. This is one of my favorite stories. It's told by Dale Galloway. Dale Galloway said the CEO, the chief executive officer of a Fortune 500 company, writes this story. The CEO of this company and his wife were driving down an isolated highway one night. He noticed the gas gauge showed empty. Finding an out-of-the-way gas station, they stopped to fill up. The CEO went to the restroom inside the station. When he returned, he noticed that his wife had not only gotten out of the car, she was in an animated conversation with the gas attendant. They were having this great conversation, laughing together, and he thought very friendly with one another. He didn't say a word to his wife. He got back in the car. She got back in. And when the couple resumed their trip, he said to her, did you know that guy? And she said, I did. We we went to high school together, ironically, and I recognized him or he recognized me. And we were just reminiscing over the old days. Well, after a pause and with a tone of pride, this chief executive officer of a Fortune 500 company said, well, sweetheart, aren't you glad? that you married me, the CEO of a company, rather than that poor guy who pumps gas for a living. She answered with a pride that matched his. If I had married him, he'd be the CEO, and you'd be pumping gas. One pride matched the other. She had as much pride as he did. Pride is a great temptation for Christian people like you and like me. It really can be. And that's why today, as we talk about prayer, that can involve pride. Pride can be spiritual, but it's still still pride. We're in Ephesians 1, the first chapter of a book we started last week. We're at verse 15 today, and I'm going to read a few verses, and then we're going to stop verse 15 through 18 right now, and then we'll pick it up later. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I don't know what part prayer plays in your life or pride either one, but there's no room for pride in your prayer life. Maybe the most important thing I'm going to say today, there's no room for pride in yourself, in your prayer life, or mine. I love the very beginning verse, verse 15, and for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, he compliments them on their faith and their love. What would people compliment you on spiritually? Hopefully it's about your faith in the Lord. Hopefully it's about your love. If you're a parent, I hope that one of the things you pray for for your children, God help him. God help her to be a person of faith, but also help him or help her to be a person of love. You see, it doesn't matter how much faith you have if you're not a person of love. A person of love means we care about people. A person of love means we care about what happens to people. We're interested in other people. And let's be honest, we all know people who couldn't care less about anybody else. Christian people. They're just interested in me, in what's happening to me. I like verse 16 that says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. Who do you give thanks for in your prayers? Hopefully, you give thanks for the people that are a spiritual blessing to your life. Now, I'm not isolating that and saying, well, that's the only thing you can be thankful for to the Lord. I'm not. But I hope we do thank God for the people that bless us spiritually, the people that minister to us, the people that speak to us the truth of the Word of God. Go right into verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let's stop right there. I know parents who pray for their children to be successful. Nothing wrong with it. I know parents who pray for their children to get a good education and Lord help them to succeed in their education. Nothing wrong with that. But keeping that verse in mind, do you pray for your children that God will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so they may know him better? The object isn't to be religious. The object is to get to know him better, the Lord. The object is not to just be some spiritual being, but to get to know the Lord better. And I hope that as a parent, that's what you do. You try to pray for your children to become spiritual beings. They have a spirit of wisdom. Wisdom means seeing life from God's point of view. Did you ever hear that before? Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. I know that when my dad became a Christian as an adult, he told me this several times over the years. He said, I looked at you children differently. Talking about my sister and myself, the two, two of us who were the oldest. He said, when I became a Christian, I looked at my family differently. 
I looked at you children differently. Why? Because God had given him wisdom and a spirit of revelation and enlightenment that he didn't have before. And he looked at his family differently. Tell me this privately, I mean, in your heart, what do you look at differently now because of Christ in your life? May I give you some suggestions? You're going to look at your money differently when you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're going to look at your house differently when you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're going to look at the automobiles differently. Why? Everything takes on a whole new meaning when Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Daryl Dash is a minister in Toronto, and I love this paragraph. He writes, I sometimes look at the websites and the glossy brochures the church has put out. Every face is smiling. The kids gaze adoringly at their parents. The worship team always rocks. The pastor always delivers the goods, and everyone is blissful. But we all know the reality. People's lives are messy. People's lives have problems. People's lives have disappointments. People's lives have illness. People's lives have complications. You know whose life has all those? Yours and mine. Because that's the nature of life. We have complications and problems and misunderstandings. And yet, isn't it great that Paul could look at the church at Ephesus and say, you people have a spirit of love. You people have a spirit of love in your church, and I hear about your faith in the Lord. Daryl Dash, who I quoted earlier from Toronto, he said there are two types of relationships we have. One is transactional. He said, I went to a donut store the other day in Canada. Where did he go? Not Dunkin' Donuts. Tim Hortons, somebody said it. I know where you hang out. No, I'm a Tim Hortons fan as well. He said, I went to Tim Hortons yesterday. When I go to order and the cashier smiles at me and asks how she can help me, he said, I understand she really doesn't want to have a relationship with me. I don't say what I really can use is some help with a decision I've been trying to make. Do you have the time to do that? She's going to look at me and say, what type of donut do you want, pal? What type of donut do you want? That's a transactional relationship. She's not really interested in me. She just wants to give me something, a product in exchange for something else called money. But there's a different kind of relationship. And it's what we have with the Lord. It's personal. It's a relationship that you have with your spouse if you're married. It's a relationship you have with your children if you're a parent, or grandchildren if you're a grandparent. It's personal. It's not just transactional. You give me something and I'll give you something back. It's based in relationship and love. And that's the kind of relationship we have in the body of Christ, and it's the kind of relationship we have with the Lord. In verse 18, I'll, I'll just refer to it. He brings up a word of enlightenment or enlightenment. You know, in, in this culture we live in, it's kind of a new age term. Our thinking has been reframed because of the Savior. Everything changes in a man's life or a woman's life, including their thinking, because of Jesus Christ. 
He doesn't change some things in your life. He changes everything. Did you get that? The Lord's not interested in changing a few things and, you know, making you a little better and uh, massaging your ego here and taking care of this here. He changes you from within. And we've been called to a hope and we're enlightened because we have a new way of thinking. What kind of relationships do you have in your life? You know, some people are more transactional even with their family. Here's a transactional relationship. If you do what I want, I'll leave you alone. That's one way of looking at it. If you do what I want, I'll give you this. I'll give you some money. If you do what I want, I will bless you in some way. And that's not the relationship we have with the Lord God Almighty. It's personal. And you know what? I'm going to tell you today something maybe some of you have never heard. When Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, you do things differently because you love Him. It has nothing to do with what I'm going to get or what somebody's going to give me. And even God's going to give me. It's because I love Him. And I know He loves me. Last week in the message, it said we're chosen. We're adopted. We're predestined, which is a big word, but He's got plans for us. And we're forgiven. We're redeemed. That's a big deal in my life. I hope it's a big deal in your life. There's a concept in our culture today that you are the answer to all your problems. You've heard it if you watch Oprah Winfrey, you watch them, and I'm not picking on Oprah at all, but I've heard people on her programs talking about how that you're the center of the universe and you're the answer to your problems. And here's a paragraph I read recently. This is, expresses the arrogance of our culture. You cannot be given life by someone else. Of all the people who will know you in a lifetime, you're the only one you will never leave or lose. To the questions of your life, you're the only answer. To the problems of your life, you're the only solution. Now listen to those last two lines again. To the question of your life, you are the only answer. To the problems of your life, you're the only solution. You ready for a comment on that? Lies from the pit of hell. Lies from the pit of hell. I'm convinced that Satan's greatest strategy in your life and my life is to get you and to get me to believe that we're the answer to everything. Have you ever heard someone on the radio or television say, all you need to do in your life is just reach down inside you and pull out the strength, pull out the right answer, pull out the correct response. And as a believer in Jesus Christ who's been chosen and adopted and redeemed, we look to the Lord. We look to our Redeemer. And we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, how should I respond to this situation? Because not only does he have answers, get this. This is really an amazing statement. Jesus is the answer. He's not only showing us answers, he is the answer. I don't know if any of you remember, well, I'm sure you do. People know one of the world's greatest violinists is a man by the name of Joshua Bell. Now, some of you will remember this. Years ago, he participated in an unusual experiment. Put a baseball cap on, pulled out his Stradivarius, and played in disguise as what's called a busker, B-U-S-K-E-R, 
at a subway station in Washington, D.C. Now get this, over a thousand people walked by. Only one person out of a thousand recognized him. Only one person recognized him. Few stopped to listen. For his 45-minute experiment, he collected $32.17 in the hat that he laid out in front of him. Despite being one of the world's greatest violinists, playing one of the most valuable instruments in existence, people passed him by. They didn't realize the value and the beauty that was right before them. I think you know where I'm going with this. When you come to Christ, you're coming to the one who most people don't recognize. People on your street, people where you work, people in your school, People in your own family don't recognize the one that perhaps you've come to. And yet, he's not an expert violinist. He's the light of the world. The light of the world. I'm going to leave you with this. The life change that can happen. Jeff Williams said that, I have a friend who has been sober now for 25 years. He thinks that Alcoholics Anonymous is a good thing, except how they introduce themselves. He is adamant that he is not an alcoholic, even though he has been. That's not his identity. He says, my identity is as a child of God who struggled with alcohol. There's a big difference. And Jeff says this in 2020, let's lean into our identities as blood-bought heirs of the Most High King. He's absolutely right. Whether we're an alcoholic or not is not the issue, ultimately. It's that we're a child of the King. Whether you're a success or a failure at work is not the point. It's if you're a child of the King. Whether you're an A student or a C student, scholarship, expert, in math or whatever, doesn't matter. What matters is, are you a child of the King? And that's what I want you to go home with today. What matters ultimately in your life, when you take your last breath, what matters is, was Jesus the Lord of his life? Was Jesus the Lord of her life? I'm around death and dying a lot as a minister, comparatively speaking. That doesn't mean I'm an expert or anything. But I'm with people who are near death, and I pray with people every week who are maybe weeks, months away from death, and could include all of us. I'm not so arrogant to think that I'm going to be here forever. I don't, I don't have that attitude at all. I'm grateful for every day the Lord's given me. Every day is a gift. But what matters is this. The older I get, the more I think, wouldn't this person's life be different? if he believed in Jesus? Wouldn't her life be different if she actually acknowledged the Lordship of Christ and the answer to those questions? Yeah, would be. Jesus doesn't change you a little. He changes everything. Would you go home with that? He doesn't change a few things. He changes everything. Your past, your present, and your future. It's all connected to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, in the life. Do you realize how arrogant that statement is if it's not true to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? If I said that, you'd say, get off the stage here, pal. Just go out in the hall and keep walking. There's a door back there. Keep walking out the door, and you'd have every right to say that. I'm not the way in my own life. 
let alone anybody else's life. I'm not the truth in my life, ultimately, as much as the Lord is, and certainly not weigh the truth and the life in anybody's life. But Jesus is, and that's who we call you to today, in 2020. Accept him, live for him, and believe him, and obey him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the word today from Ephesians 1 about prayer. Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, and he's so grateful for the faith and love that he sees. And I hope that's what the Lord sees in us. And people see faith and love in us, not success or achievement or determination or other things that are good things, but that hopefully people see faith, hope, and love in our lives. Bless this decision time this Sunday in October in 2020 is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Well, in the moments we have left on Cross Hope today, I hope you realize that Christ just isn't an alternative to your life in 2020. He is life. He claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. If that statement is true, there's nothing more important than knowing the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. Crosshope.org. You've been listening to Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Cross Hope is listener-supported and is produced by Cross Hope Ministries Incorporated.